Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman, joined as always and by Owen Hughes. Hello. And this time, back by popular demand, are foreign film experts Liam and Andrew Alcock. Hello. Hiya. Probably the first time we've had anything backed by popular demand. Usually by popular demand, <laughs> it's please would you stop doing this. <laughs> Yeah, there was a an, like we had a glut of comments saying how much people enjoyed the last podcast you guys were on. I think because we started talking about films that we would never normally have talked about on any other. Well, podcast. speak speak for yourself. Oh, you're, you're all cultured this week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you've been uh, researching. Yeah, um, researching foreign muck quite literally, and um, we won't talk about that on this podcast. So. <laughs> no, I've been I've been watching a couple of films and things in preparation for this. Hmm. But anyway, yes, Liam and Andrew back by popular demand. How does that feel? Uh, uh, surprising, given the um, <laughs> the, the list, the way the listeners' questions went uh, last time uh, when we were on. Um, yeah, I can't imagine that bit would be back by popular demand. <laughs> that is very uh, flattering. Good. Um, so. <laughs> In, uh, in uh, lieu of our normal kind of podcast, we're going to stick with what we've been watching where we're all going to talk about a um, foreign film that we've watched in the last week or so. And then we'll be doing a, a triple bill of our favourite three foreign films with the caveat that we've all had to pick three films from different countries. Say, so I couldn't have picked all French films, for example. We had to be all picking three from different countries, although they still did, might that, pick some... You, yeah, I was going to say, you still might pick Holy Motors, though, right? That's oh, a possibility. oh yes, <laughs> yes. I, I, that film could have been in English, and I still wouldn't like it or understand it. <laughs> have, I, have either of you guys seen uh, Holy Motors? That weird no, French not surreal even film. Heard of it? No, no new one on me. Okay, it it is mental, and Kylie Minogue's in it. Yes. Oh, right. It was oh. your favourite film, wasn't it, Steve? You loved that. Um, I hated every damn second of it. <laughs> I just did. I did, I don't get surrealism mm. or the French. <laughs> Interchangeable, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I didn't get that film at all. Um, but anyway, yes, yeah, so we're going, we're going to leave out the news this week because there isn't really a lot going on unless you, like me, were fooled by the BBC website and Leslie Nielsen being <laughs> dead again. That was brilliant. That was my favourite email all week. It was just you telling me that that's news sorted. I was like, what? What is? What's sorted? Oh, Leslie Nielsen's dead. 
again. I forgot. I mean, if I don't think it's too unreasonable for me to forget that he died six yeah. years ago. It's not, you know, it's not a not a thing that I keep track of. But <laughs> yeah, I was I was just reading the BBC News app on my phone, mm. and it came up. Like, and the most read section was the the uh, it's obituary basically. Mm. So I thought, oh, shit, he's died. That's that's three in three weeks, and then Owen just took the mick out of me. Yeah, it's a good job we're not all counting on you. Along with the rest of Twitter. That's another, oh yeah, there's an airplane reference. Mm. And obviously the, the debate from the Oscars from last week rolls on, but we covered that extensively last week, so don't really need to touch on it too much. Yeah, the Oscars, so white hashtag. Do you guys, yes. I know, I mean, I'm talking about this as if you guys, Liam, Andy, are aware of the Oscars, because I've got a feeling you guys don't really pay much attention to them. That, that is true from my yep. point of view. Yeah, although I did win some sort of prediction thing from Bill Critics last year on the Oscars, yeah. doing it completely at random. <laughs> Was that just like completely random? No logic went into it at all, or um, no? Then I looked at the categories and picked one from each. And you still beat everyone who entered. Uh, That's amazing. Beat the experts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't normally take the slightest bit of notice. I thought this year I might actually try and dip my toe in the water mm-hmm. and uh, see a few. And I saw Room. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I saw Room and absolutely loved the first part. Felt it went a bit sort of, I don't know, sort of spongy or something afterwards. Um, mm-hmm. The bit in the room was brilliant. <laughs> the bit outside the room... Not so, not so brilliant. It sort of seemed to lose, lose something, lose its intensity or something. I know they needed. I mean, the whole film was about them, um, sort of trying to readjust, and it just felt. To be honest, it kind of felt like it was by a different director or a different writer to the actual full intensity of the mm-hmm. while they were in the room. Um, yeah, I've heard a couple of people mention that as well. I think partly it's because the second half really tries to make you feel a bit better about the world in a weird yeah. kind of way do you know what i mean because the first half like you say is so intense yeah it's, yeah pretty pretty brutal in in the emotional stakes anyway but um, yeah oh yeah. it certainly is and it's brilliantly acting that that little boy um i mean by god what an actor he is mm. you know I mean, he, he's just superb but um oh, and i watched <laughs> and i actually i saw um saw the revenant as well and, wow, uh, that's two in one month. That must t- com- like yeah. eclipse your total films you watched in 2015 that were released Pretty last year. Much. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Heading for it, and I thought that well, that's just basically a western, isn't it? So I liked it. But uh, yeah. uh, apart from, uh, the, I mean, I know plenty of people have been commenting about it, but it is extraordinarily long. And when you think how much of that, the length of that film is uh, the camera pointing up through trees at the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, that is done a hell of a lot. Yes. And um, no, I, th- I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought that without giving any spoilers to anything, there's a bit with a bear in, and I thought that was thoroughly convincingly done. That looked really good on screen, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, the only bit, there's one bit that really did bug me, and that is he was crawling along on the floor, you know, death's door type thing, gets to the top of a cliff, pokes his nose over, looks down at this huge drop to a raging river camera fades to black fades back out he's laying beside the river having a drink <laughs> uh, explain yeah <laughs> you know and then i thought well i might keep up this 
uh, Lark, this Oscar Lark. And then I looked at, um, well, just the cover of the um, the poster art for The Martian, and I just thought, no, I saw that. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm not doing that. And so I've sort of waned from that. Mm, yeah, I, I can't imagine that you, just knowing a little bit about the films that, that you do like, I can't imagine The Martian is quite your cup of tea. Although it, I will defend it in that I think it's a good blockbuster. You liked it as well, didn't you, Steve? I thought it was really good. I don't, I don't mm. quite know if it's Oscar-worthy good, mm-hmm. because it is kind of... Well, you say, cause, say because it is a blockbuster, then Mad Max is yeah, nominated true. for Best Picture, and that is nothing but a blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. Yeah. Who knows I, what they're thinking? Yeah. Shall we move on to the quiz, then? Yes. What's the score in the quiz? Um, 1-0 to me, isn't it? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Um, this week, obviously, with um, the theme of the podcast, it's taken a sort of world cinema twist. Um, basically, I've chosen five actors, and you're going to be in teams, Steve on your own, Andy and Liam together. Um, you just have to tell me which of the following three films does not feature said actor. Okay? So, it's a you just pick one. Okay. First one, so which of the following films did not feature Jackie Chan. Is it Enter the Dragon, Once Upon a Time in China, or New Fist of Fury? And uh, Steve, do you want to go first? Um, so Enter the Dragon, Once Upon a Time in China, or New Fist of Fury? Is it... Which one is he? is he not in? Is he not in? Which one didn't feature Jackie Chan? I'm going to say the last one. That you said. New Fist of Fury. Mm. Okay. Andy, Liam, any uh, thoughts? Not a clue. No, me neither. <laughs> Not a fan of Jackie Chan's work. No, me neither, really. No? Yeah. Okay. No. Sorry. The first one. Enter the Dragon. You're all of you are wrong, I'm afraid. It was once upon a time in China that didn't feature Jackie. <laughs> Jackie Chan was in Enter the Dragon, but see, that's because mine was an educated guess because I knew that from The Office, the episode with the IT guy, and he's winding Gareth up about Chuck Norris, and Gareth Chuck Norris is in, and he says, "Why do you say Chuck Norris is in Enter the Dragon?" No, he's not. He fights <laughs> Bruce Lee and whatever. That uh-huh. so I knew that bit. I didn't know the other bit. <laughs> I had an educated guest there. Yeah, he was just a. You see him getting punched in the face, basically. He plays a little. It was one of his earlier roles. So, yeah, it was once upon a time in China that he wasn't in. So, the second one. So, it's nil nil so far. Andy and Liam, you can go first this time. Which of the following films does not feature Mads Mickelson? Is it Clash of the Titans, Only God Forgives, or The Three Musketeers? I thought you were going to come out with some good films there. You reckon? <laughs> yeah, I've seen a few with them in. Um, I'm, I'm absolutely clueless on that. Uh, okay. Andy? Um, you want the films again? Clash of the Titans, I'll go with. Yeah, okay. So, Steve, is it Clash of the Titans, Only God Forgives, or The Three Musketeers? It is Only God Forgives. It's correct. So yes. I said that with confidence, oh. it was right. I yeah. had no idea. <laughs> I had literally no idea. I just said it with confidence and it worked. Uh, yeah, Only God Forgives is the Nicholas Winding Refn film. So I thought, 
normally he he works with Mads Mikkelsen on stuff like Pusher, Valhalla Rising, um, stuff like that. But Only God Forgives is the one he did with Ryan Gosling instead. So yeah, okay, one nil to Steve. Steven, yes. it's your turn to go. <laughs> Christoph Waltz, which of the following films is he not in? Is it The Green Hornet, Muppets Most Wanted, or Mr. Popper's Penguins? Mr. Popper's Penguins. Yeah, okay. Andy, Liam? Judging by the confidence in Steve's <laughs> voice, I'm, I'm tempted to copy. Yeah, he did. He suckered me into Yeah, he sounded confident on that as well uh yeah i'll go with that as well then yeah is correct yeah it was mr mr popper's penguins he wasn't in did, did you genuinely know that steve or was that another no I, I i had a good idea on that one yeah so i've seen i've seen the i've seen the other two films mm-hmm. mentioned and i could remember him being in those oh well yeah so you did know next marion cotillard Andy, Liam, was she not in Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy? Was it Anchorman 2 or Luke Besson's Taxi? Which of, the follow- which of those was she not in? I've seen Taxi, but it was a long, long, long time ago. Well, I was thinking, yeah, one hell of a while ago for me. <laughs> and I certainly haven't seen either Anchorman film. No, me neither. <laughs> Surprises me. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, so, uh, I don't know. Anchorman 2, I'll say then. Whatever that was. Yeah, we'll go with that. Okay. Steve? Um, she not in Anchorman, Anchorman 2, or Taxi? I can't remember seeing her in Anchorman. So I'm going to go Anchorman. And it's a, a runaway lead for Steve oh, there. Uh, yeah. She wasn't in Anchorman, but was in Anchorman 2. Apparently, <laughs> yeah. I still don't think I've seen Anchorman Two. It's not really worth your time. No. It's not great. No. Okay, so finally, just for pride now, because Steve has already won three-one. Um, uh, was Javier Bardem? Was he not in Collateral with Tom Cruise and Jamie Fox? Was he not in Ocean's Eleven or The Gunman? Um, <laughs> Ocean's Eleven. Ocean's Eleven. Andy, Liam, for pride. <laughs> What's that? Can we have both the other ones? <laughs> both of the other ones. Yeah, we'll have one each. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. One each. It's still wrong. It's still wrong. Yeah, yeah. sorry. <laughs> it was Ocean's Eleven that he wasn't in. Yeah. So well done, Steve. You've, you've clawed a point back. It's now one all between us. Good. How well do you done, feel Steve. about that? Yeah. Um... Yeah, positive that I can beat you and make you watch something awful again. Mm, getting close. Yeah, just think on as to who's going to be representing you next week. <laughs> Time now for what we've been watching when we have a look at um, some of the world cinema films we've seen Recently, or I think specifically for this for this podcast is we've not seen before before doing this podcast to talk about. Uh, so Owen, why don't you start us off? Um, okay, well I'll just explain because this is like our second world cinema podcast. The last time we did this 
was in August 2013, so some time ago. And our triple bill then was we had to choose three favourite world cinema actors and actresses. So I, what the, one of the people I chose was uh, Zhi Zhang, who, who's probably most well-known for stuff like Memoirs of a Geisha, Hates of Flying Daggers, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, stuff like that. And I mentioned that at the time that I was really looking forward to seeing her again in The Grand Master. Um, now, I never actually got around to seeing it back then. So in like preparation for this podcast, I decided that now would probably be the best time to actually give it a go. I think most people who are into like kung fu or martial arts movies will know who Ip Man is. Uh, Liam, I think we've had conversations about Ip Man in the past. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah. Seen the first two, not seen the third. Well, the the one that was supposedly like the prequel sort of thing. I've yeah. Seen that. Yeah. 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 It was a prequel, wasn't it? A bit weird. I think there's another one coming out soon. But anyway, yeah. So Ip Man, there's like a million different Ip Man films. And essentially, the Grand Master is just Wong Kar Wai's uh, telling of Ip Man's story. So it's set in China in the 1930s during the Japanese invasion. It's got Tony Leung, who plays the uh, aforementioned Ip Man, whose training in Wing Chun makes him the ideal candidate to represent the South during a challenge against the Japanese and the North and all that. As well as like Tony Leung and, and Zhi Zhang in the two major roles, it's got support from people like Kung Lee and uh, Chen Chang, who is also in The Assassin, which was released in the UK this past week and was kind of like the reasoning behind why I decided to do a world cinema podcast this week because The Assassin's just like wowing loads of critics and I don't understand why. Oh, I kind of do understand why because it's a very... um, It's aimed at a sort of audience who would probably proclaim it to be brilliant because it's very arty it's borderline incomprehensible i know that again liam that we <laughs> we definitely <laughs> talked about the assassin quite recently and i said yeah. oh, if you wanted to i think i said in an email if you wanted to say anything about it on this podcast feel free and your reply was uh, that i would struggle to do anything more than shrug and say meh <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah precisely <laughs> it's just one of those films isn't it it just does not yeah. make sense um, i just sit there looking at it and thinking well who's she then well what's that one doing there then and that fight in the forest there was a the two mm-hmm. between the two women mm-hmm. oh she, well yeah it was two women wasn't it yeah um, it was. yeah and i thought well what the hell was that about and, uh, <laughs> i felt like that about great swathe of that film i'm afraid yeah same here i mean i watched it through the first time and didn't get it so i thought oh well it's quite short I'll give it another chance. And then I watched it again and it still didn't really do anything for me. It looks brilliant. I mean, there's some gorgeous visuals in it, I think, but it's perhaps not really crossed a sort of cultural barrier particularly well, if you ask me. Um, But yeah, so back to The Grandmaster, which is the film I was supposed to be talking about. I think it's strongest element is also the visuals, really. Um, The choreographed, like, fight scenes in it, whilst, like, they're always mind-bogglingly complex in these sort of films. Um, it's shot here in a way that's like full of like a lot of quick cuts, and there's a lot of energy to it, and not like how like uh, older kung fu movies that had a lot of fast-paced energy because they were sped up like to one and a half speed, so it looked really quick and funky. In fact, I watched Iron Monkey for the first time this week, and it was fine, not exactly amazing, um, but it was all right. But it has a lot of those fast motion 
fight scenes and it takes away from the realism and also features Donnie Yen who is just the fucking boss isn't he <laughs> so yeah but Grandmasters I'm sure some of it is kind of sped up but if it is it's done in a much more subtle way that it doesn't you don't really notice um, and it just gives it a lot of, of pace and, and, and zip in the fight scenes which is great and the story is one that's been told a million times before as I said it's probably not quite as strong as Ip Man I think Ip Man is a, a much better all-round sort of film. Um, and, of course, it has the added bonus of Donnie Yen. But I think the the film is... It kind of struggles to identify what it really is, whether it's a kind of a, like a romance film or whether it's like an action film or if it's a historical epic. Um, it, it doesn't really fit into one. It feels a bit more lucid. In in like what type of genre it's it's attempting to to cushion itself in, um, but that also could be attributed to the American cut of the film, which is what I watched, which apparently trims about twenty minutes off the film and adds in a lot of exposition, um, albeit, albeit not in the, the the dialogue. It uses lots of cue cards to explain stuff. But yeah, apparently Wong Kar Wai was actually responsible for the cut as well. He was asked to do a cut for an American audience. So it's not like the studio have just taken it off his hands and then messed about with it and redistributed it. He had a say and it was his own project to redo it, which is fine. So I think it's OK. It, but, it, you know, it, it's it's an OK film. It didn't disappoint me. The, the performances were, were pretty good. Visuals were really good. Um, and uh, yeah, I certainly enjoyed it more than The Assassin on almost every level in any case so it was worth a watch okay Liam what have you seen well actually touching on the Oscars I've uh, I watched one that's up for foreign language I don't know if you pronounce it Thebe or Tahib it seemed to be it's hard to follow the you know the actual spoken language to try and get a proper pronunciation but um, it's a Jordanian film uh, from Naji Abu Nawar um, I hope I'm pronouncing that bit correct at least <laughs> um, it's the only one of the um, the, the foreign language noms uh, this year that I've seen. Um, they're really hard to. I mean, this one, this one's out just on sort of bog standard DVD release at Amazon, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been out a good while. I must say, thoroughly enjoyed it. Again, another one that kind of had the feel of a a western to it, uh, not just because of the the sort of desert setting and. Um, where they were riding camels rather than horses. But uh, uh, it's about Bedouin tribe. It's set in the First World War sort of period. And the uh, the basis of the film is that um, uh, a tribe out in the, in the desert, um, they're visited by a fellow from a, a different tribe who's trying to help a British serviceman get to a well to try and um, reconnect with his his regiment. Um, and the little boy, um, the title character, Thebe, uh, sort of steals along with uh, with the guide off on this journey to find the well. He's very much, a, the start of the film, he's a very much a naughty little boy, sort of carry on out of him. But the, we don't, obviously don't want to give spoilers because this is a, a good one and it's one I would suggest people see. They're beset by problems on the way, obviously, um, attacked by bandits. It's a really nice film to look at. It's set in the desert, but it's a remarkably beautiful desert somehow. <laughs> um, and needless to say, they've got the the sort... You know, when you see um, documentaries about uh, places like Jordan, 
they're those really high walled um, little passes tiny narrow little passes through these high walled cliffs sort of thing just exactly like you see in a in a western you know Um, Mm -hmm. uh, John Wayne down the bottom and the the, the the cliff is full of Indians firing at him. They're all missing, and he takes one shot and hits them, sort of thing. Thankfully, uh, <laughs> this one's not quite like that, but it's uh, it looks very much along those lines. But I must say, for a little boy, in it is fantastic. The there's nothing really to complain about with it, which you know I do normally like to have a moan about something, but uh, there's very <laughs> little <laughs> there's very little for me to whinge about with this one. It's a, a nice story. It's it's a story of itself. Um, how the this part this is set in the part of the desert that was controlled by the Ottoman Empire at the time of the First World War. So they've got uh, that to watch out for. The government troops also um, they have to go through bandit country to reach this well they're looking for. And also another tie-in with with the Western is um, there's lots of people complaining been complaining about the newfangled railway coming and changing everything uh, mm. obviously some are thinking it's brilliant that it's bringing in supplies etc others it's put a load of people out of work uh, like uh, desert guides out of work so there's resentment there story follows all those angles but it's mainly about this little boy Thebe who um, it's I have to use that horrible cliched phrase a coming of age story but, uh, <laughs> it actually really is um, because the, the poor little sod, he has a hit of a time out there in that desert. It's not nice for him. And uh, he starts off, as I said, very much a sort of na- naughty little scamp of a boy, uh, sneaking off, doing things he shouldn't be doing, following the grown-ups on his little donkey. By the end of the film, he's well, he's not aged any physically, but he certainly has mentally, and he's um, old enough and uh, clever enough to take his own moral stand on things. Must admit, it was um Jordan's a new a new country for me to tick off as well. Uh hadn't seen anything from Jordan. No, there can't be many this... left on that list now, surely. You must have seen a... <laughs> for oh, like it's... so many countries. I've seen a hell of a lot, yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'd say it's over the hundred, it's got to be, because I did the we did the eighty, didn't we, Andy? Um was it yeah. last a year before last, wasn't it? Two years, um, yeah. That was uh, that was eighty different countries in the year we did, and I'd done one previously wow. that was going from Portugal right down to Patagonia at the bottom of South America without uh, crossing a border. Without the only, um, like I said, I wrote in the synopsis of it sort of thing. Um, it's middle of winter, and I have skidooed across the Bering Straits to get from <laughs> Siberia to Alaska, sort of thing. So, yeah, and I did that. So I've seen a hell of a lot. And Jordan mm. is one I must have skirted round. I did want to, my original idea was to go from Cape to Cape. So from South Africa to Patagonia, but just couldn't get up Africa. So, I, you know, I mean, they've had other things to worry about. Some of them <laughs> countries, stuff of them filmmaking. Yeah. So, um, yeah. But no, um, no, I heartily recommend this one, Thebe. Um, it's T-H-E-E-B. It's up for an Oscar nom. Um, haven't seen the others, so I can't say whether it deserves it or not. I'd say it's a very worthy film. So, yeah, that's my one for this this podcast. Okay. Uh, myself, I asked Owen for some recommendations, as I'm probably, well, certainly, not probably, 
of the four of us here that are the least well-versed in world cinema. And Owen sent over a couple, and, and the one that I watched was the one that came most highly acclaimed by, by Owen, which was a 1931 film from Germany uh, called M. Or in a German translation, M, uh, a city looks for a murderer. <laughs> which mm. kind of tells you what the film is about. Um, <laughs> it's directed by Fritz Lang. And so it's essentially what the, the, the German trans- tr- title translates into. It is various different people in the, a city looking for um, a child murderer, serial killer child murderer. Um, so it looks at a police investigation looking into him, as well as civilians looking into him. I really enjoyed it. I don't... It, um, I'm not the, the, the world, most well-versed person to talk about world cinema, or perhaps someone else on here knows more about the people involved making it or know more about the film itself. But it's, it's kind of a film that's got the plot that if you talk too much about the plot, it gives too much away. Um, it is available on YouTube. I wouldn't know where else it's available, if it's had a DVD release or or a wider yes, release yes, than that. But... I have the DVD. So, but yeah, um, <clears throat> obviously it starts out as... Is this little girl leaves school, um, gets kidnapped, um, and obviously the worst happens, and then the police start looking into it. Um, the killer also gets recognised by members of the public, and it, and it goes from there. I thought it was really well shot and, and well put together. Some... Is that in like are you are you thinking in context or just even comparatively now that it's really well shot? Um, Be- is it like know, for just, the time it was well shot, or I think perhaps for the time, but it it it, it, it watching it, it's, it it was a really good film, but it's sort of like whereas you watch some older films or foreign films or both older foreign films, you think well, that <laughs> that that's that could be ripe for a a, a modern remake, and this hmm. one you kind of think well, it doesn't really need that. It, oh, absolutely, yeah. But, but you know what I mean, don't you? Some, you'll watch a, a foreign film or an old film and you'll think, well, that they could they could do a really good modern adaptation of that and it would work quite well and you could put so-and-so in this role and have so-and-so direct it. This one, you think, well, it doesn't really need that. You could just put that put that on and it's fine. You know, it's perfectly, yes. perfectly credible. Yeah. Uh, or more I, so. Well, the thing about Fritz Lang as well is that he was um, a pioneer, <clears throat> excuse me, a pioneer of a certain style of filmmaking as well um like german expressionism a lot of the if you've you've probably heard the term before but it gets attributed a lot to the work that that fritz lang did and uh andy i know that you as i'm sure liam is as well because it's a quality film but i know that you're a massive fan of m too yes even prompted you to swear a little bit on twitter it did it was yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> outburst. I apologise, but it deserves it. Um, yeah, it is. It's one of my. It's. I think it's on the letterbox where you put your top four films. I think it's sitting in the third place at the moment. It's oh wow! Just, yeah, and I just. Yeah. I, I only watched it for the first time about three years ago. Just mm. completely blown away by every aspect of it. It's a brilliant film. And Peter Lorre is just superb in that. As playing the, the serial killer, I think it's just a really peculiar man, and I think that works <laughs> well. He just looks weird. He, he sort of um, 
as a weird way of speaking. And his speech at the end is just, it's, it's brilliant. It is. It's, it's just, just mesmerising. It is fantastic. I'm re- yeah, so I'm really pleased that you watched it, Steve, and I'm more pleased that you enjoyed it. Okay. Do you feel cultured now? Uh, I've, ne- I've, <laughs> I've never felt cultured in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not going to change now. Uh, next up, you can watch the um, three-hour-long Die Nibelungen by Fritz Lang. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Andrew, what, what are you going to review for us? Um, I have gone for a Romanian film called The Death of Mr. Lazarescu. It's a, a two-and-a-half-hour film in which you watch a man slowly die, basically. Yeah, fun for all the family. Um, (laughs) Yes, the the director is Christy... His surname is P-U-I-U. I'm not even sure how we would pronounce that. But (laughs) um, it's, it's the story of a man who lives alone in his flat with his three cats. He likes to have a drink and... This particular evening, he's having a particularly bad headache, so he calls for an ambulance. And there's unfortunately been a massive car crash in Bucharest on that night. So all the ambulances and hospitals are very much full. So he goes to see his neighbour to ask for stronger drugs and more alcohol. Eventually, the ambulance does turn up and the paramedic decides that he needs to go to hospital. And... Thus begins a sort of journey that takes him throughout every hospital in Bucharest as he tries to get the treatment he needs. And there are doctors who, because of his drinking habit, aren't overly keen on treating him ahead of car crash victims. But, yeah, there is, (laughs) I know it doesn't sound like it, but it is sort of a darkly comic undertone to it. But also the the main actor, I'm going to go with Ion Fiscutianu. He sort of portrays this man who starts off just annoyed because he's got a headache and he can't get an ambulance. And as the symptoms get worse and they sort of overtake him, and by the end he's in a sort of an almost comatose state. And his performance just is really impressive the way he sort of sort of adds symptoms and sort of takes things away from his performance as he loses various functions. Um, Yeah, it'll not be for everyone. It's it's quite slow. It doesn't feel like two and a half hours, which is good. It's because you're, it's sort of a a low budget feel to it. So it's got that realism and you just, you're on this journey with him as he, tries to get the treatment he needs and gets stuck in various waiting rooms and waiting for various bits of equipment to become available, waiting for his results. And this paramedic who's with him is trying her best to make the doctors give him the attention he needs, but they've got other priorities. And, yeah, it's it's really sort of... It does capture you, and by the end, well as it's called, the death of Mr. Lazarescu, you can sort of guess what happens. But by that point, you've sort of invested a lot of emotion into him, and it's, yeah, it it did stay with us for quite some time after seeing it. It seems like it would. It seems like it would be quite um, 
to use the phrase emotional roller coaster. It, it seems like it would be a bit like that, if you know what I mean. Yeah, just it, pulling yeah. you in lots of different directions. It does when you you think something's going to happen, then something else happens, and yeah, it, mm. it's it'll not be for everyone. But if you are, if you don't mind sort of slower films, <laughs> then yeah, give it a go. And what was it called again? The death of Mister Mister Lazarescu, L A Z A R A S C U. Okay, triple film now then, where we are picking our three favourite foreign films, all having to pick the three films from a different country, and yes, that's really the the, the, the rules for that's it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yep. and, we'll go, and we'll do what we've been doing in the last few triple films and carry on going in our round-robin format. Um, Owen, why don't you begin? Okay, so basically uh, I decided to focus mainly on films from... Asia this time because although I do watch films from pretty much anywhere if they seem like they'll be interesting enough um, but you know anywhere in Europe or whether it's Australia of course American films British films wherever it doesn't matter if it seems like it's interesting I'll watch it but most of my the, the vast majority of my world cinema viewings do come from Japan China Hong Kong South Korea uh, that kind of that kind of region of the world so it leaves me. It still leaves me with loads of brilliant movies to choose from, and I really found it difficult to whittle it down to just three. However, I have done my best. So um, I think I established very early on in this podcast. I am a big fan of Jackie Chan, and in 1985, he released a Hong Kong action comedy film called Police Story, which he starred in, he wrote, and he also directed it all himself. He did all of his own stunts. Um, I, I just love Police Story. I think you could probably... The thing with Jackie Chan, though, is I think you could probably get a room full of Jackie Chan fans and every single one of them would have their own personal favourite because he was in so many... Well, what I think is quality movies. He makes a certain kind of movie and he makes that certain kind of movie very well. I think if you look at his early big breakthrough stuff like um, Drunken Master in the sort of late 70s or if you go a bit later on in his career and he's even the stuff like um wheels on meals which is like a slapstick cult comedy which also has a huge fan base or stuff in the 90s who am i mr nice guy or the american stuff like rush hour there's just sort of like not all of them have been good he hasn't always been great in many films particularly those that he made later in his career in america um but there's just so many of his movies that I that I love and I, uh, that I love him for, um, and I think he's like a global superstar actor for a reason. He's a movie star, and it, we don't usually get many movie stars these days. And when you do, it's always people like Tom Cruise, who is just like a weird Scientologist, strange man who I would prefer wasn't a movie star, but he's like the best that we can offer. And it's just a shame. And I think Jackie Chan is also. Um, he's obviously not on the same level in terms of his draw, his box office draw and stuff. But to, to get back to the point, um, the, the movies that he made around the time of uh, making stuff with actors like Samuel Hung and, and Yung Bao and all that, that they all took their influences primarily from old silent comedies, um, which makes sense when you think about it, because their comedy 
those sort of comedy films like uh, Harold Lloyd, Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin, um, they were all universally appealing because they had no language barrier to them. So those films became massively popular in Hong Kong. And then when you watch something like Police Story, okay, it's a crime action comedy film, but those influences are there and they help to make these films uh, quite universally appealing as well. Um, and also the stunts in them are just fucking insane. They are nuts. And the stuff that Lloyd and Keaton especially did was crazy. But the, the stunts that, that you see in Police Story are just insane. Just absolutely insane. Yeah, but, it's, you know, it's, it's a great film. I really, really love watching it. Even now, I watched through all five of the, the Police Story films that I, could, that I could get my hands on. I couldn't get my hands on the remake. Um, but I watched all of the original sort of five last year. And I still think they hold up. Uh, some better than others but they're just like a, a kind of thrill ride and um, yes yeah, so that's my first choice is, uh, is Police Story from Hong Kong Okay, Andrew your first choice yeah, I've gone with a Polish film from 1959 called Night Train or Pokiag which I'm assuming is Polish for Night Train um, <laughs> it's directed by <laughs> Pokiag P-O-C-I-A-G sounds yep. plausible Mm-hmm. Um, the director is oh, I've been practicing this Yerzy <laughs> Kowalerovich him well Seamless. done to yep. everyone that's, that's, the, that's the fella yeah, yeah. yeah we've all heard of him <laughs> suddenly um, and it, the, the story is basically two strangers on a night train for various reasons have been um, shoved into the same little cabin, uh, Yurtsi and Marta, and they both seem to be trying to get away from something. Neither of them really gives much away, either to each other or the various passengers they meet. And this uh, time passes and they warm to each other a bit, and all the other passengers are discussing news reports of a murderer who's killed his wife in the town where this train left from. And then the police board the train, believing a murderer to be on board. And then a hunt for him ensues. Um, but the main compliment I'm going to give to this film is the most Hitchcockian film that I've seen, <laughs> not by Hitchcock. It's just, it has that sort of, it, it just looks amazing. The cinematography is perfect. It's so cool and stylish. There's lots of scenes in the very narrow corridors of the train where people are trying to squeeze past each other and they're having their little conversations and all the different passengers are intertwining their stories and then there's long expansive shots along the outside of the train and and in fact the opening shot is an aerial shot looking down on the steps to uh, the train station it's, it must be on for about two or three minutes, and it's just people going up and down these steps. And it's just a brilliant shot. And, yeah, the, there's all the characters work, all the performances are great. It's got that claustrophobic feel with it all being set on a train. And, yeah, I like it a lot. Cool. Okay. Uh, first film in... Uh, my selection, I'm going to Norway and I'm going for 
probably one of the best found footage films I've seen ever, and that is Troll Hunter. Brilliant film. Uh, oh yeah, I'm yeah. a fairly big fan of the the found uh, the found footage genre, or at least the idea, the concept of the found footage genre. I think the the bad films in it far outweigh the good. Um, but I saw this for the first time a long time. It was being hyped up, because I think it was being shown on Channel 4, and it was also on Netflix for a while, but when it was being shown initially on Channel 4 or Film 4, they were making a very big deal about it. So I took the time out to watch it, and, and thought it was brilliant. I thought it looked great. Um, I, was, I was very surprised, and this might show my ignorance, that a Norwegian film had the budget to kind of... I know it's found footage, but had the budget to kind of show... The, the trolls in, in CGI, obviously, but to look as good as what they did. Um, I thought they looked fantastic. It didn't tease you with the... with the. So often in found footage films, it's a, it's a creature or a, a spirit or demon that's causing the problem, and it teases you with it quite a bit. In this, it didn't tease you with that. The characters were all likeable. I quite find in found footage films, there's at least one character who's a massive dick that you really don't <laughs> like. In this, I didn't find that. I thought that I, I loved the the kind of grizzled old troll hunter. I thought he was fantastic. I thought it, you know I thought it, the plot played out well. It wasn't too stupid. It wasn't over the top. It just worked really well. Um, it was it was believable or as believable as a film about troll hunting can be. <laughs> um, but yeah, I thought it was fantastic. It was a great choice. Yes, um, and Liam, uh, for the first round in the round robin, yourself, what have you seen? Right, okay. <clears throat> I'm going with the um, Romanian one. Uh, philanthropy, or Philanthropica, as it's uh, called as well. Um, an absolutely brilliant, very black, cynical comedy um, about the exploitation of and by beggars. It's, um, you could take it to be overly cynical, um, it's in, set in and f- f- made around the time of the just when Eastern Europe was starting to get its um, its sort of super rich, you know, uh, develop a, a rich class as well. In fact, um, there's a quote on the film, and I cannot remember who it's from, but right at the start of the film, it says, In my town, we have princes and beggars. There are some stray dogs, we call them the middle class. <laughs> and it kind of, uh, it's based around, it follows the story of this um, high school teacher who's just completely disinterested in his job and his students are just as disinterested in him. But he's also attempting to be a writer uh, with no success whatsoever. And um, he starts to, he's, he lives with his, still lives with his parents. He's, the look at him, I'd say he's mid-40s. Um, lives with his parents and he has a girlfriend but that's sort of on the rocks type of thing and all of a sudden this sister, the sister of one of his most rowdy students uh, sort of comes into his life and she's uh, this gorgeous model she's currently in a at the time that she's um, in a toothpaste commercial on the television <laughs> over there and of course he develops an obsession with her and has to find the money to fund to keep up with her lifestyle sort of thing and basically what it is is that um there's this sort of mr big who runs 
all the scams for the beggars. He says, the empty hand without a story stays empty, is his motto sort of thing. They, he basically writes hard luck stories for people to enhance their their scamming techniques, if you see. Um, mm. It's incredibly, it's very, very dark. Um, you're never quite, you can never form an opinion of whether you like him or not, the, the main character, whose name Ovidiu, something like that, you know, pronunciations. But um, you can't make up your mind if you, if you sympathise with him or not. It's hard to totally blame him. It's harder to sort of root for him to to come good. I'll tell you what, this the overriding feeling is it screams Woody Allen parts of this do, you know? Um mm-hmm. it really does feel like it. Um it's it's his sort of pitch, you know? Um everything's slow, everything's thought about to an extent. Um there's a certain amount of neurosis a are trying to outwardly bluff just how screwed up you are inside, sort of thing. Um, yeah, it's um, it, you can get it on DVD, uh, on a Region 2 DVD as well, not even have to bother with the one. Um, it's damned expensive on Amazon. You'll probably pick it up on eBay cheaper. Um, it's definitely worth a, um, a, a view. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, it's... Nobody in this comes out in a good light. There is exploitation of and by everybody, if you get what I mean. You know, there are, mm-hmm. um, which it doesn't make it sound like much of a comedy, does it? But it's um, a <laughs> uh, thoroughly enjoyable film. Uh, very easy way to spend an hour and a half. Um, but like I say, if you like Woody Allen, I'd say you'll, you'll really get into this. Uh, I can I can imagine the comparison will put. A lot of people laugh as, as yeah, many as it will probably encourage yeah. to go and dig it out. You know, well, he's very marmitey, any Woody Allen. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd say, having said that, I tend to think he he's done some films that I absolutely love, and he's done some mm. that I wouldn't watch in a month of Sundays, sort of thing. You know, <laughs> although or rather I have seen and I would not rewatch in a month of Sundays, but he's yeah. he's done some that I I just think. Uh, up there with some of the best films. Um, even to be honest, I thought even um, Blue Jasmine the other year. I thought that was that was mm. really good. Was yeah, a... I enjoyed Blue Jasmine as well. That was yeah, that and, was and good. It was it was um, the the performance in it as well from Kate Blanchett that was yeah, so she was kind of carried that for me. Really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was she was, was she was outstanding in that. Brilliant. Mm. But uh, no, philanthropy or philanthropica uh, from two thousand and two, <laughs> directed by Nate uh, Caranfil. But um, yeah, there's plenty of places really. It's all over um, IMDb and that. So yeah, have a check out of that one. Okay, back to you, Owen. It, it is back to me, isn't it? Um, okay, so my second choice then is from sticking with Asian films. It's from Japan. Uh, it's one that I have mentioned before on the podcast, so I'll try not to repeat myself too much. Um, but it's uh, Akira Kurosawa's inspirational outstanding thought-provoking drama Ikaru um there aren't any number of Kurosawa films I could have chosen actually uh for for this and but in all honesty I think ever since I first saw Ikaru it hasn't really shifted from the the top of my favorite um Akira Kurosawa film list uh the plot is really simple it's just about an old bureaucrat who's never missed a day's work in his life he's never done anything for his own enjoyment um, and he's 
kids uh, kind of think of him as a burden and he's just a blockage in the way for them accepting or accessing their inheritance money. And what happens to him is he learns that he's he's got terminal cancer. He's only got six months to live. So this sort of quiet, meek, repressed old man who's like the butt of jokes from his colleagues, he goes, right, I'm going to blow all of my savings in one night. I'm going to spend all of my money in one go. And it's such a beautiful movie, such a beautiful story. And the the word Ikaru apparently translates as living. It means living in English. And I think it's perfectly apt because you've got like the dual meaning there because he's an old man who's been told he's going to die and obviously he wants to live. Um, And of course, it's about the the life that he's never had and thus tries to live it all in one foul swoop. Takashi Shimura plays the main character uh, in this, and his performance is, is it's outstanding. It's just so good. It's so it makes the the character just instantly likable all the way through the the film, and it's a really kind of moving portrayal of a, a frail old man who's just inspired to live, even though he's faced with his own mortality. And you'd think it'd be perhaps either one of like two things. It'd either be really schmaltzy or maybe it would be really dark and depressing. But it's far from that. It gets the, the it's tonally just perfect. It gets that balance just absolutely bang in the middle. It's fun. Um, really heartwarming story as well. Uh, as well as being it does have moments of sort of sadness and the ending is. It, well, because like I say, he's got terminal cancer, so he dies. That's not a spoiler. I don't think that constitutes a spoiler. But, um, you know, so it's got quite a sad and at the same time uplifting nature to the ending. And as good as stuff like Yojimbo or Seven Samurai or Rashomon are and so on and so forth, because, you know, Kira Kurosawa made so many good films, I, I just honestly, I do think Ikaru is his, his masterpiece. Um and, you know, not just one of my favourite films from Japan. It's one of my favourite films of all time as well. It's it's just near perfect. Are you guys, anyone fans of Akira Kurosawa? Um, I liked, um, is it Datsu Yuzawa or something? About the little fellow in the woods. It was his first foreign language one he did with, um, in Russian, partly in Russian. Uh, does it not ring a bell with anyone else? No, Datsu not... Yuzawa. Don't recognise it, but it's it's entirely possible. Um, he was a very influential filmmaker. Yeah, people, uh, you know, people like uh, John Ford sort of say that he inspires his work, and then you had people like Akira Kurosawa saying John Ford inspires his work. So yeah, it's, uh, it's just goes circular. It, yeah, um, yeah. The one I'm thinking of is um, it was like uh, oh, he was like a guide in the woods, a little Japanese fella who was. Like a mountain man sort of thing, and uh, a okay. Russian work part, um, army work party, uh, sort of get lost, and he teaches them all the ways of the forest, and then when he gets sick, they look after him, sort of thing. Fantastic film, okay. and I'm sure and it was that's in Russia. Where, as well. Yeah, because uh, I'm sure that's where um, I think George Lucas must have seen it. Uh, oh, do you mean the Hidden Fortress? No, Hidden no, Fortress no. is in Jap- Japanese, and that one definitely inspired Star Wars. Yeah, no, no, all I meant was because this main guy, <laughs> D- Dasu, I cannot for the life of me remember what his name is. It's on one of my lists on um, I, on uh, Letterbox. 
this bloke is the sort of the prototype Ewok is all you can describe this main <laughs> character as. Um, okay. oh, here we go. Here we go. Dursu Uzala. Akira Kurosawa, yeah, uh, 1975. Oh, wow. Yeah, Russian. I had no yeah. idea. Yeah. Dursu Uzala. Very well, very much worth sticking out. And now I will shut up because this is your go. Sorry about that, Harvey. <laughs> no, it's not. I was done. I was finished. I mean, I'm interested. I'm learning about stuff. I didn't realise that he made films in other languages, to be honest. Yeah. Um, Andrew, your second pick. Yeah, this time I've gone to Bulgaria, a 2008 film with the snappy title the world is big and salvation lurks around the corner. Um, <laughs> from director Stefan Komandarev. Um, it's about a man in his 20s called Sashko. He's a Bulgarian man living in Germany. And he's involved in a car crash with his parents. During which they die and he is left with no memory of any part of his life prior to the crash. And it's shown in sort of two parts. You've there's flashbacks to when he was born, when he was growing up in Bulgaria, and concurrently, it sort of switches back to his current life, where he's in a hospital, doesn't know who he is, and his granddad, by Dan, turns up. He is the king of backgammon. And he turns up, he travels from Bulgaria, having heard about the accident, turns up and tries, well, first of all, tries to convince that Sashko that he is, in fact, his granddad. So obviously he has no memory. And then does all he can to try and help bring this memory back. So he gets a tandem and decides that the two of them want to travel and retrace the steps that... Sashko and his parents took when they escaped from communist Bulgaria back in the 80s. And yeah, it's just, it's a really heartwarming film. You see this man with sort of, you see how he came to be sort of in Germany, how he had to escape Bulgaria. And he had to stay in a concentration camp type thing with his parents in Italy. Well, not concentration camp, but sort of a, a holding place until his sort of their their asylum to Germany had been approved. And you see sort of bits of that story. You meet the characters and sort of the, the places he's been. And so when they're retracing the steps, he, he meets some of the same characters again. He finds a little toy that he used to play with that he'd hidden and um, you can see him sort of regaining his life as he gets all these memories back and there is a lot of backgammon so if, if you're just a fan of backgammon <laughs> you, will, it, you will enjoy this film immensely but yeah definitely one that it's, you can just sit and smile sort of throughout the majority of the film The second film in my list is a film that we here at Failed Critics Towers were sent a, a DVD of um, a fair while ago now, actually, at least a year ago. Um, of a, I think it was a remastered film, a uh, French film from 1939, Le Jour Se Lève. That's, oh, that's, yeah. that's, that's the best French you're going to get out of me. <laughs> 
Uh, and Owen, in my research for this one, I found out in 1952 it was included in the Sight and Sound's first ever top ten greatest films list. So I'm, oh, I'm, really? I'm definitely cultured now. Yeah, they wouldn't have even had the the proper cut back then either because it, yeah. it was lost, I think, for yeah, a while. Says, it says on the Wikipedia page, 1952, it was included in the first Sight and Sound top ten greatest films list. And for those of you who haven't seen it, I doubt there's too many that have, it is about. Uh, it, it's one of the films that start. It starts. You know, it starts with the ending of the film and then works its way backwards via flashbacks, which I imagine I can't say for definite was probably quite uh, a, a revolutionary thing in in film in in the 1930s, perhaps. But anyway, uh, it's a a a, uh, a worker um, falls in love with a girl and is in a, in a bit of a love triangle um, with another man who's got his eye on the girl as well and it all works out <coughs> um, the plot from there the only, and this is just me being a bit petty, the only annoying thing is for me in the film, that one of the, the main male characters is Francois and one of the main female characters is Francoise so if, you're, if, you're not, if, you're, if you take your eye off it for a minute and you, and you hear a name or not read quite properly it gets a bit, little bit confusing about who's trying to get it on with who um, <laughs> completely different film, but no, I, I thought it was great. It's, you know, when, when we got sent the film, I thought this isn't going to be one that I like, but I should really watch it. These people have obviously put a lot of effort into remaking it or remastering it, and they and they obviously want us to watch it because they bothered to send us out a DVD. So I'll give it a go, and actually ended up really liking it. Oh, and can you remember seeing it? Yeah, I can. I I. I have to admit, though, it was one that slipped my mind. I, I forgot that we that we did watch it, um, and I remember being confused about it to begin with because I, I was like Le Jour Celeb. I'm pretty sure a film as big as that I would have heard of, um, but it's only be- I didn't recognise it because I I did know it by its um, English or American name, which is Daybreak. Yeah. Because apparently Le Jour Celeb is the day rises, and I remember reading about Daybreak. And I hadn't, yeah, I didn't make the the connection between the two. So if other people are wondering what it is, um, Daybreak by its English name or Le Jour Celeb by its actual proper name. Um, But yeah, I remember reading about it as well. It was one of these that was, um, it's to do with uh, poetic realism, right? It was one of the first poetic realism films. And it was one of those as well. I don't think it was meant to be part of a movement, but it almost like inspired one. Um, so poetic realism is just like it takes a real life situation and turns it into this not fantasy but a, a, a not realistic portrayal of something. It was very romantic, I think. Yes. is the is the key um, in the way that it, it tells its story. But the restoration by I think it was Studio Canal, it just was, absolutely yeah. brilliant, isn't it? Oh yeah, they, they they put a lot of hard work into to restoring that film to make it look. Looked fantastic. Um, it really did. Yeah, it looked amazing. Yeah, and yeah, I'd, I'd certainly recommend people go and see it if they haven't already. Uh, Liam, you're going to round off the end of the second round of films for us here. Okay, um, this one, um, strange one actually. It's called Osama. It's um, an Afghanistani film from 2003, directed by Sadiq Barman. Barmak, sorry, uh, Barman. One track line. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is actually about um, life under the Taliban. It was made 
to start for the you know the, the two and the throwings of all the troubles that poor country's been through. But um, this was made about life under the, the Taliban for women and girls, really. Um, need to say, so many men have been killed in war. So there's an awful lot of um, widows and um, one parent families, and of course. Under the Taliban's law, women were not allowed to work, couldn't go out unescorted, etc. Um, I mean, we all know and see some of the problems that are there. But uh, obviously, they were on the brink of starving to death. She has a sort of 12, 13-year-old daughter who, out of desperation, they cut her hair short, dress her as a man and claim she's a boy called Osama. Um, and then a f- friend of her father's uh, employs her in his little um, snack shop so that they can earn some money. But um, things go. I don't want to give too many spoilers away, obviously, but um, the Taliban decide they're going to conscript all teenage boys, so <clears throat> she is whisked away to this military t- training camp. Uh, and... She start. They start to um, suspect she's a girl. So all sorts of rather unpleasant things are done without being too over the top. It's. I know it's one Andy has seen. It's one you saw, wasn't it, Andy? Uh, yes, I, I'm sort of yeah. struggling to recall it. I must admit, <laughs> but I've yeah. definitely seen it. Yeah, um, it's a real sort of. Um, it's not. You can't say it sort of pulls at the heartstrings because that sort of. To me, that's sort of more like um, like a, a sad story. This is mm-hmm. based on real true fact and what did happen there. And there were some absolutely shocking... It, it, nothing is shown in nasty brutality, goriness, shall we say. But you're very well aware of what is going on in the background and what you can sort of half see and it's being alluded to. And um, it's a very affecting film. Um, that's why it's on this. I, I thought I'd mention this one because it's a, a different sort of film to what you would see, because it's made by the people who actually went through this, mm. thing, you know, mm. and no doubt some of them are going back through it again now. But it's, um, yeah, it's it's very easy to get hold of. It's dirt cheap on Amazon DVD. I'm not on on commission from them, by the way. The amount of time. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's um, it's definitely worth seeing because it does. It's very affecting. Feel it does make you think, and um, just what the hell people do do to other people is is just barbaric. And they, you know, um, mm. yeah, it's. Uh, I'll just finish it by saying, not a comedy, but um, <laughs> no, well worth seeing. But but be prepared. <laughs> okay, back now to the the final round then, and uh, Owen, your third pick anyone who knows anything about my viewing habits isn't going to be surprised to learn then that my final choice of film from korea uh, from asia is a korean movie we gave that one away um <laughs> yeah my, my problem was just choosing like a single one so in the end i just plumped for for something that i don't think i've really talked about on here before although i've definitely talked about the director um a film called secret sunshine by a director called lee chang dong um, no, I'm willing, I'm cer- absolutely certain it's a quality drama, but I am willing to admit that maybe I do need to rewatch it at least one more time 
before proclaiming it as the best ever movie from South Korea. The reason for that is because of the mood that I was in when I first watched it. And it seemed like one of the best films ever made by anyone from any country. Because the film I'd watched prior to Secret Sunshine was Danny Dyer's Run For Your Wife. And whatever film <laughs> followed that, whether it might have even just been a Go Compare advert or something of that ilk, probably would have relatively seemed like the greatest triumph of mankind. Um, so perhaps I do need to rewatch Secret Sunshine, um, which I've got on DVD, um, which I had to import. It's not released in this country, which is a shame. But yeah, Secret Sunshine follows a widow who's played by an actress called John Do-Yon um, and her son as they move to the city where her recently deceased husband was from. So her ex-husband's at hometown. Um, whilst she's there, she sort of makes friends with a mechanic who's played by the always like reliable Song Kang-ho, who is one of the greatest living actors that we have at the moment. Um, shortly after moving to the town, her son goes missing. And once again, she's grief stricken and then she's alone and she's stuck in a town that just reminds her of her family all the time. Um, so to overcome this grief, she dabbles a bit with religion um, to see if that can bring her any comfort or relief. She tries to make peace with various folks in the town. She confronts a community who are patronising her and just being full of pity and she doesn't want it. So in many respects, it, it is a bit of a gut punch of a movie. Uh, every other scene just is is heartbreaking. But it it as well as taking all the wind out of you, it's just it's just a phenomenal film. Every, particularly stuff like the way it's made. And I think as a look at a Korean culture and how. Um, just normal everyday people deal with grief and loss it's interesting enough but it, yeah it's just i think it's um the the director lee chang dong was a culture minister for the korean government for a while so he made a few movies was very successful with those movies took a break to work for the government and then came back to make films and this is one of these that he came back to make and it explains why the the feeling that you get as you're watching it is just something very real about people, wherever they're from, and and it's quite an. It feels like it's an earnest story. It doesn't try to hold back. It tries to show you how things probably would be for someone in that situation, and it also tries to look at how religion and faith still play a part in modern society, and if that's good or bad. Um, and it's just a very clever film, and it's anchored by one of the greatest performances in any film you're likely to see from John Doe. Um, so, yeah, as I say, if you can get hold of it, give it a watch. Um, just, you know, prepare yourself if you're feeling a bit emotionally vulnerable at the time because it will not make you feel better. <laughs> and, Andrew, your third pick? I've gone for a Brazilian film from 1998 called Central Station. The director is Walter Sales. And it's about Dora, a sort of curmudgeonly and not particularly pleasant former teacher, who now spends her time writing letters for illiterate people outside of Rio's main train station. And she charges a little bit extra if she has to post the letters, but most of the time she doesn't bother posting them. Um, and one day she writes a letter 
to um, a young boy's father from his mother. And unfortunately, his mother then walks out in front of a bus, which I've just realised is a theme <laughs> I've come up with because <laughs> parents getting killed tragically. Somehow, I, I, I seem to like that. <laughs> but, uh, so this leaves young nine-year-old Joshua with sort of no one in the world. He he doesn't know where his father is, and his mother has just been killed. So he sort of hangs around this um, Dora, who who doesn't really like children. But eventually, she sort of agrees to take him home, takes pity on him, um, sort of feeds him looks after him as best she can, which she's not really trying particularly hard, and then tries to get rid of him. But a, her friend has sort of taken a bit of a shine to him, and they decide to get him back and go on a, a road trip to try and find his father, going off the address that um, the mother put on the letter before she was tragically killed. So it's it, and they they sort of travel across Brazil by coach and getting lifts of various people. It's it's sort of yeah it's like a, a road movie, a unlikely couple type friendship movie. It's it's just it yeah it's it's nice. <laughs> it's nice you see them sort of the young boy bringing sort of joy into this old woman who. Is played by Fernanda Montenegro, and it's it's a really good performance. She sort of, it, it, you can see the character evolve from this really deeply unpleasant woman into someone who does find joy in life and does have feelings and love again for this boy. And uh, yeah, we had the attempt to track down the boy's father so she can give him back to where he wants to be. And it's also a good performance from him as the sort of person, the little boy who needs help but sort of also wants independence but knows he can't do it alone. Yeah, it's it's a film that I think most people would enjoy regardless of what their usual um, viewing habits are. I think that's the thing with world cinema sometimes is that people get put off by the idea of watching... Of a film from another country is oh it's going to be a bit too heavy for me. But when you've got when you've got something that's like that that seems like it could be quite universally appealing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it seems like it 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 would be something that most people who are perhaps not used to watching foreign language films could could start with or or give a definite a bit of time I, to. I think I think I just read very quickly that um the the, the woman got. An Oscar nomination, Best Actress Oscar nomination for that performance, which is the first Latin American to ever do so. So it mm. must be more well known than I realised. <laughs> okay, my final choice is uh, a film from Indonesia and a film that probably everybody's heard of, so I'm not going to go into it too much, <laughs> and that's The Raid. Or I'm guessing now that it's becoming a kind of franchise, there's two out and a third one planned, it's now been titled The Raid Redemption. Yeah. Which I would have thought would have been the tagline for like a later film. Like you have the first film and something happens and then the second film is the redemption. I wouldn't have thought you'd go redemption straight away. 
it's a good point. Yeah, but but, but whatever. Uh, and it's just it's just a great action film directed by a Welsh guy, Gareth Evans, and and I'm not quite sure how he ended up in Indonesia making films as good as this, but he did. Thank God, it, he did. It's just a great action film, non-stop um, kind of martial arts and violence and yeah. Um, it's like the opposite sort of film, though, to The Raid 2, isn't it? Because The Raid 2 is like a two-and-a-half-hour-long epic. Yeah. Whereas this is just a short, in-your-face, fast, fun... Well, if you're going com- to compare it to, to any Western film, I suppose you're going to compare it to, to the newest or the last Dread film, aren't you? In terms yeah, of, in terms of a, a tower block and police going at it. Hmm. Um, yeah, but I I love the raid, and as well as well as loving, it, I think it is a uh, one of these a foreign film that you could probably watch without even reading the subtitles and just watch the film and just get exactly what's going on. Mm. Even though there is a plot to it, you can kind of just watch it without reading the subtitles and just get get the gist of what's happening. The story's not um, particularly complex, is it? <laughs> no, it is is a tower block. There's some bad guys. Is some police. One of them's got a bit of issues in that, and and they're gonna get the, <laughs> they're gonna get the bad guys. Yeah, I believe that's exactly how it was. That's sold the blurb the on the back of the DVD, some, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, Liam, round off the triple bill for us. Okay. Well, <clears throat> I'm probably going to surprise Andy here, but these are three supposed to be three of our favourite um, foreign films. And I haven't gone for an Aki Kawasaki film at all. Um, <laughs> but all you've got to do is just, uh, if his name's on it, watch it, because it'll be good. Uh, so it's no fun in picking a favourite out of that. Uh, I've gone for one from Mexico. Uh, Herod's Law, or La Ley de Herodes, uh, by Luis Estrada. Uh, Luis Estrada. I don't know if he's anything to do with Eric Estrada or not, I don't um, uh, this is uh, it's it's a long film. It's at least at least two hours comedy drama from Mexico, all about political corruption. Um, it's absolutely fantastic. For the two hours, you get it probably split. First hour of it's really quite funny and not slapstick, but heading type slapstick way. And the second, it's almost on the hour mark. It seems to switch and get really quite uh, dark and dramatic. Um, it's all about uh, set in the 1940s in really very rural, out in the middle of nowhere type Mexico, and um, the locals. As the film starts, the mayor is rushing about, taking down pictures and paintings and clocks, and grabbing great big wadges of notes out the back of all of them, shoving them into a suitcase and trying to leg it out of town, uh, which he fails to do. Um, and it doesn't end well for him, put it that way. Uh, but as his replacement, they, the ruling party decide they want someone in who's going to give their name a little bit of a boost and um, who will be easy for them to control because the corruption runs right everywhere, sort of thing. Um, and they get this guy, low-ranking official, and they boost him up to mayor and pack him off to this town where he... He sets out with all the best of intentions, but um, everybody is so used to being shaken down that they automatically start just paying him off whether he, before he asks for it. <laughs> um, and he tries to—he does try his best at first to stay on the straight and narrow, 
but um, no, it don't happen. <laughs> uh, pretty soon he starts to see the appeal and he gets drawn into all manner of really, really quite dark storylines. Um, ends up being murders, plural, um, blackmails everywhere. Um, he claims that he's uh, he's using all of their donations, as they're called, sort of thing, to bring uh, electricity to the town. Um, and to prove he's doing it, he puts up one telegraph pole. Uh, and that's as far <laughs> as anything ever gets, as far as that's concerned. Um, it's really, it's funny and it's entertaining. From what I've read of other people's reviews after I saw it, uh, apparently it's pretty close to the, pretty close to this, almost the truth um, to, to some Mexicans. From what I'm reading on websites and that, uh, a lot of them say, it's very, very realistic, which would scare the hell out of you, sort of thing. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's an absolute swine to find. I'm not sure if it's out on DVD if it, or if it got withdrawn again, but it's on YouTube if you search for it under its uh, its Spanish title. And uh, I'm not sure if there's one on there with... Uh, still one on there with subtitles, but if you watch it through free uh, media software, perfectly legal, called Kodi... You, they've got a, a legal YouTube um, plugin. Go on there, search for the Spanish name, and they've got subtitles. Uh, you can put a subtitle, uh, click on a button to enable subtitles on there. Uh, thoroughly worth doing because it's fantastic film, very much worth watching, and um, great fun. Excellent. Well, that's nearly all for this week's podcast now. We've just got to recommend you some films to watch um, in, well, at your leisure. And we're going to, um, a <laughs> bit different to usual, because we usually recommend you something that's been either released new, put on to video on demand new, or is, is on television mm-hmm. this week. But obviously this week we're just going with a recommendation from World Cinema. Um, I'm going to go with... If you can get hold of a copy, I'll go onto YouTube, but I'd suggest watching M or Le Jour Celeb, if possible. If you can't get hold of either of them, like I said, M is on YouTube, but um, Troll Hunter should be easier for you to get hold of. That's been on TV a few times as well, hasn't it, Troll Hunter? Yes, uh, not for a little while, but recently, so I'm sure it's, it's, it's probably on one region of Netflix at least. Yeah. Um, so yeah, okay. So I was going to um, recommend a film because I've chosen one by Lee Chang Dong. I thought I'd go for another, which I think, in the grand scheme of things, because he's only made five movies, but this one I think is probably his most underrated. People seem to appreciate this one slightly less than perhaps his others. But Peppermint Candy from 1999, which is about a man who, at the very start. Andy, you'll like this. He commits suicide by jumping in front of a train. Hey. Um, <laughs> but then it, it the film is tells his story backwards. So you see sort of... It, I think it spans... It spans about 20 years or something like that. So it starts off with him as this just broken man who's just committing suicide at a, a sort of friend reunion party on a beach and then it goes backwards to a few years before that to show you what he was like then and a few years before that to see what made him like that and then it goes even further back so it, te- it tells it slightly backwards uh, or entirely backwards um, but it's just it's fantastic it's um I, yeah after secret sunshine it's probably my favorite 
film by Lee Chang-dong. But the, it, it switches between the two of them regularly. It's just that good. Okay, Andrew? Um, having heard mention of Fritz Lang earlier, I'll go with another of his wonderful films. Uh, the Testament of Dr. Mabuse from 1933. Um, the German version. I haven't seen the French version. I imagine it'll be good as well, but this, the one I've seen is the German version. Um, and there's a crime wave taken over a city, and all the signs are that criminal mastermind Dr. Mabuse is behind it. Unfortunately, Dr. Mabuse has been in a mental asylum for a decade, having completely lost his mind. So, uh, yeah, it it's, follows the sort of police investigation and it shows you the criminal side of things and how how these people are either copying Dr. Mabuse or somehow getting information from Dr. Mabuse. And it's... I, I don't know, it, it's... I've read it slightly less than M, but it is still very, very good film. I've uh, got that on Blu-ray and still yet to watch it. Well, you should. Oh. I have just told I know. And <laughs> uh, Liam? Um, because I've, I've left him out of my three favourites, um, pretty much anything by Aki Kawasmaki. He's probably best, most widely known for Le Havre that came out a few years ago. Um, which I've got quite a bit of attention and quite a few people seem to like. Um, but I'd go for some of his are, are just brilliant. Um, the Man Without a Past is brilliant. Um, Letting Greg Cowboys Go America is one of my favourites. It's the film I saw first of his and uh, what got me into his films was that one, The Letting Greg Cowboys Go America. Man Without a Past is brilliant. Um, yeah, so see one of those because he's... He gets called the miserablest, mis- miserablest, <laughs> and it's true that. But there's always an undercurrent of humour, um, and just to stay with the mood of the the evening, there are loads of suicides in his films. Most of <laughs> most of his films, uh, most of his films feature um, a suicide. Lots of people smoking and drinking very heavily, and there's usually a dog running around uh, because he likes dogs. Um, but the music's always good in his films and um, there's always an undercurrent and it's the sort of director that every time you watch something, you'll see, every time you watch a film, you'll notice something you've missed the first time somehow because there's such, it's, it's very subtle sort of thing, you know? Mm. So yeah, just see anything by him, he's brilliant. Okay, well that is now it for this week's uh, podcast. So thanks to all of you who've listened and continue to download, support the website. And uh, thank you for Andrew and Liam for coming on and talk about world cinema, whereas I'm sure we'll get you back on again at some point in the future to, to do something similar. Pleasure. Or completely opposite. The, we'll yeah. get you both on to talk about the latest Marvel film. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got a bleak machine, have you? <laughs> <laughs> and Owen will be back with me next week for another fail critics. What's up next week, Owen? Corridor of Praise episode. And who are we in, who are we inducting, or are we keeping it secret? We will reveal it on the podcast. But helping us to induct that person is our old friend James Diamond. He's back on the podcast oh, next week. It's exciting. Mm. I've, I've, I've missed James. Yeah. Anytime it's on been a, a while. Any, actually. Anytime on a quiz show, the answer Caravaggio comes up, my heart pines for <laughs> a little bit more. Happened the other yeah. day, and I just think of him straight away. <laughs> 
So yes, that's that's for all of you to look forward to. So join us next week. The Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, created by James Diamond, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, remixed by James Yule of JamesYule.com. You can find us at FailedCritics.com, on Twitter at FailedCritics, and Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash FailedCritics. Thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.